I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Let's Talk About Brand was initially broadcast as a live stream in 2021. It has been edited from its original format. Welcome to Chat About Brand Live. So for those who don't already know, I'm Christine Gritman, and I do my Chat About Brand Twitter chat every single Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time, but I usually don't have my live stream interview until Fridays. And uh, this week I'm doing something very special. I'm combining them. So we are going to have the Let's Chat About Brand chat as usual. The questions will be going up at the, at, you know, at the regular intervals that they normally do. I encourage you to chat along with us using the hashtag Chat About Brand. But the special piece this week is that I'm also going to be having our live guest, Jade I. Powell, and that is a live interview you can find in my pinned tweet. So if you want to do both along with us, I encourage you to maybe have the chat open in one tab and the interview open in another tab, or you can, you know, just do one or the other. Totally up to you. All right. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring on our special guest, Jade I. Powell. Woo! <laughs> hey Jade, how Hello. you doing? I'm good. How are you, Christine? Good, good. You're looking a little blurry this afternoon, but that's okay. You know, you'll just get some some uh, some sunwink herbal tonic, and it'll snap you right back into shape. <laughs> it's funny. I don't typically introduce with like my full name, the Jade I Powell, but uh-huh. it's nice to hear it. <laughs> what does the I stand for? Imani, that's my middle name. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for being here, Jade. Why don't you tell the good folks at home who you are and what you're all about? Yeah. So I'm Jade Powell. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I am a social media strategist, and I'm currently the head of social and community at Sunwink. Um, Sunwink is a wellness brand. We actually make sparkling herbal tonics like Christine showed on the screen, Um, but they're made from actual whole herbs and plants. And I know we're going to be talking about community today, and I'm super excited because community has actually been really baked into the foundation of our business um, because we are in the wellness space and we don't think that wellness is just an individual journey. We think it's a community led journey. So for us, our community is really just these plant powered individually um, individuals that truthfully just love the earth herbs and plants. And we just love all things green because we love our planet and we try to embody that every day and in everything that we do. Um, but I actually started at Sunwink um, back in December, so I'm fairly new, new to the team, but I'm coming on board as their head of social, and I've, I've been building out their social media strategy, and then we'll be building out our community management practice as well. I love that so much, and I love what you said about plant-powered people. 
<laughs> yeah. Like that really gets to the mission of the whole darn thing, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, I think for us, we definitely recognize that the wellness industry and the food and beverage industry actually um, can sometimes seem very monolithic. So it's important for us to really ensure that in everything we do, especially when we're making our products, not only do we keep the earth in mind, but the humans on it as well, because it's, you know, plant powered means the people that inhabit our earth as well. Um, so every bottle of our tonics is actually inspired by a muse, which is really just a real life human. And Ooh. 2% of our sales of tonic actually goes back to organizations, organizations focusing on social impact. And we love it because our muses actually select what those organizations are going to be. Um, so for example, our hibiscus mint unwind tonic, which is made from like really delicious hibiscus flowers and mint, um, was actually inspired by our muse, Erica Hart. And she's actually a sex educator and breast cancer survivor. Wow. And the proceeds of this actually go to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, which um, is an organization. Oh. Yes. Exactly. Oh, my <laughs> exactly. goodness. For so those who don't know, Marsha P. Johnson was a trans woman of color who was highly involved in the Stonewall riots in 1969, yeah. which was a huge watershed moment and kind of what many consider the beginning of the modern gay rights movement. So she is a hero. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. So, Jade, you've been in community management for a little while, right? So, so even before you were at Sunwink, it wasn't just that you mm -hmm. were doing social media. You're not just someone who posts. You've always been someone who converses. So what is that? We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means to you in just a moment. But I'd love to hear how mm -hmm. that kind of really became your jam. Yeah, so I guess I'll kind of just like work my way backwards from okay. Sunwink. Um, so prior to Sunwink, I actually worked at Delta Airlines where mm -hmm. I was on the social media team. And it's funny because like my official title was Senior Social Analyst, comma, Community Management, but that's just a fancy title for a community manager. So I was actually one of the few people helping to build uh, Delta's social, social community. Um, and it was a, a really cool job because the airline industry has like, especially Delta as a brand has just such passionate like brand advocates. So it was really great to talk to the Delta community that already existed, but even before I got there, um, and, and I would you definitely can say that. You up with my... someone over there once we're allowed to fly again. <laughs> That's my airline of choice. I know I miss it so much. It, it, it's my airline of choice even before I was even working there, and mm -hmm. they know that, and everything they do is just excellence. So um, it, it was a wonderful um, brand to work for, and I would say some of my best and like most fun work was definitely on the Delta Twitter account um, mm -hmm. because I was definitely tasked with like coming in and giving Delta a more like fun and approachable voice on social media, especially when engaging with our community. Um, but also I um, did uh, some content development as well, which was super fun to do for Delta because Delta's a cool brand. It's like very, um, uh, the, the customers are very passionate. So it was cool to work for them. And then uh, prior to that, I actually which a lot of people don't know, um, I'm a huge cannabis advocate. Um, and I actually used to work in the cannabis industry as mm -hmm. a startup called Parallel, which was formerly called Soterra Wellness. I've been in the wellness space for a while. Um, 
but there I was uh, the social lead and I did strategy, content development, community management, insight, and insights and analytics. And I think like most people in the social media space know that like when you're a team of one, you typically have to do all of those things. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, community management was just like one of the many things that I was doing in my role there. Um, but that was probably the one of the first uh, big brands I worked for. And oh. prior to that, I was um, prior to me working on the brand side, I, I worked at a couple of marketing and advertising agencies here in Atlanta, one of which was called Life Marketing. And they really introduced me to social media management as a possible career field. Uh-huh. Um And I actually got my start there as a social media intern, but also Mm -hmm. community manager. So uh, that really thrust me into the area of community management. Well, this is perfect because it is actually time for question one, which is how do you define a community? Yeah. So on a basic level, a community is a group of individuals that share common interests. Um, This can be a virtual community, a community that meets in person, or even a community that communicates anonymously. Um, For example, Reddit in those spaces. Uh, But for brands in particular, their communities, I think, can really be identified by their habits. And when I say that, I don't mean just purchasing habits. I think because it goes beyond that. because I really like to think about it this way. Like, I think that your customers can be your community, but your community may not necessarily be your customers. Mm-hmm. And I say that because uh, community members, I believe, are not necessarily in the community because they buy your products or utilize your services. Um, and why that while that may very well be the case, um, some people just join communities because they really love the the conversations and stories that arise out of conversing with just other people in the community. Um, So I think that just has become more of a thing and more ever present because people have this like really inherent need for connection, which I think is beautiful. Um, But for me, I think the definition of community can really just be viewed in two ways. Um, One, yes, it's likely to be your most loyal customers and loudest brand advocates, but it's also just the people that are, wanting to find something interesting and share an interest with um, people who have commonalities uh, with them. And sometimes it just happens to relate to your brand and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, you talked about the the plant-powered people uh, element of Sunwink. And the fact is there's mm-hmm. some people who maybe aren't necessarily Sunwink drinkers, mm-hmm. at least not yet, who still connect to the yeah. overall kind of brand ethos and what they're trying to do there. Absolutely. Um, And and it's interesting because I've noticed this and throughout many of the industries I've worked in, um, especially when I was in the uh, airline industry, it's it's funny because something travel is something that like a lot of people love to do. And I even remember during my time there, we would uh, see many of these Facebook groups and Instagram pages that would be created for airline industry employees. And there are several of them, but they, there are some groups that are specific to what the people in the airline industry call non-revving, and that's mm-hmm. actually um, 
essentially catered to airline industry employees and their friends and families. So essentially, if you were ever able to like fly standby or use a buddy pass because you have an airline industry friend, that's like what non-revving is. Mm -hmm. And it's called non-revving because you're not producing revenue for the airline because you're essentially flying for free. Um, But that's just additional context. (laughs) So in in these groups and pages, you would see thousands of people talking about non-revving and sharing tips and tricks on like the easiest ways to get to your destination or where to go when you reach your destination and in these groups like delta was mentioned probably like thousands of times but the group wasn't necessarily about delta so technically we can assume that many of the members are delta employees and customers but people in the group are not members because they love Delta. They're members because they love non-revving and they love having conversations with people who also love to non-rev. And that's something I love to call out because, you know, sometimes I think brands think that they have to own their communities and that's also not the case. Um, And one of the like best examples I can think of, and I'm so sad that I didn't take a screenshot of this when I saw it, but it's still makes me laugh to this day because I remember I was combing through a thread on a social post just to see what people were talking about, like doing some social listening. And there was this post about people missing like Delta Biscoff cookies because, you know, that's like a popular Delta airplane snack. And I know I miss it. (laughs) And um, I remember there was this guy that was like in the community, he was super active And he was just like, oh, I don't even fly Delta. And I thought that was so odd because I was like, you're in this Delta group, but you don't fly Delta. And I remember like someone asked the question I was wondering myself and they were like, well, why are you in this group? Which is a fair question. (laughs) And um, he just like simply responded because I like the people in this group. And it just made me laugh because I'm (laughs) like, wow, he's not here (laughs) for Delta, but he's here because he likes the community conversation conversations that are in this group um and but I think at the end (laughs) exactly and and I I think that's just kind of like the power of community because you don't necessarily as a brand have to like insert yourself into every conversation or own the conversations because Mm -hmm. your community will advocate for you and talk about your brand for you. That um, is so I think huge. People... That is so yeah. huge. And that yeah. brings us actually to the next question, which is kind of some of the differences between uh, running and managing and creating an online community versus an offline community. Because the fact is these people were talking about common interests and travel and all of that online, but I'm sure some of them were getting together offline. And have you actually been involved in sort of community generation and management for an offline context or has it been online? Have you merged them in any way? Yeah. So the majority of my work has been online community because I am a social media manager, but I've definitely with teams and my space to kind of connect from online to offline, especially when building out experiential marketing events, um, which I would say is experiential is more of like a new, a new marketing term for event marketing. Um, But I I do love this question because like I said, I'm a a social media marketer and I'm actually a big advocate for building social media, media communities online and then nurturing them offline as well. And, And I think when it comes to online community building, it's, wonderful because it's like less of a challenge to do and two you just have so many options in terms of 
platforms and where to build the community because online can mean a lot of things, not just social. An online community can be an Instagram page, a Twitter chat, a forum, or a website. So you have a lot of options as to where the community can be built. But I think because digital channels in particular are becoming more crucial of many brands like marketing strategies, they're naturally gravitating towards building online communities rather than offline communities. And I mean, it makes sense, especially right now because we're in a pandemic yeah. and <laughs> I, I'm sure there are like hundreds of thousand brands all over the world right now who planned these like huge in-person activations or experiential events because they were you know, trying to build community offline, but we're in the middle of a panini, as Twitter would say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like, for me, when I think about how much money goes into creating an event like that, no matter how small the event is, like you could be dropping anywhere from 10,000 to 100 grand just for a single event, where on social, for example, you could just pay like five influencers $2,000 to do a QA and a on your Instagram story. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's definitely a little, bit, um, a little bit more pricey to do in-person events. Um, but I don't necessarily think that either is better than the other. Um, I think there's balance and you're, you can be able to do both to really build your community. Um, but I just think at the granular level, I would say one of the things that's missing from online community is the fact that in-person interaction, it's just like everything. So when community members are talking to each other online and to brands online, oftentimes that relationship just stays there because there's no physical human um, connection that's being built because you don't always meet people in real life, which can be tricky because behind a computer or a phone screen, you really don't get to like fully experience the nuances of someone's personality, their voice or their mood um, because you don't get to see them in person. Um, But I, but I also think that's why like social platforms right now in particular are trying to incorporate more voice and video features uh, because they just recognize that people do want to see their faces and hear their voices when they're talking to each other. Yeah. And it's, it's so amazing to watch like Clubhouse, for example, has how it's just blown up like these past couple of months. Um, and, I, and I don't know if you saw this, like recently they even got like a $1 billion valuation and it's just yeah. like a complete, completely audio based platform, which was unexpected. Yeah. It's, it's, that's <laughs> so, an, in Twitter Spaces too, I'm very intrigued to yeah. see what Twitter Spaces yeah. does and how that competes with Clubhouse. Yeah, I'm very intrigued as well. Um, it, it, it's definitely something that I think people are really, well, platforms are really trying to push towards, just like finding ways to incorporate that more human element um, with voice and audio, like I was saying. But I think, again, like I was saying in the beginning, just like when brands are building communities online, it's also important to build them offline as well. So there are just these huge opportunities to really leverage your loudest community members online and have them be like the host or brand ambassadors of your online offline events or just conversations in general and vice versa. So I always like for brands, for me, it it's like if you're hosting an offline event, and people join your communities online as well, that's something that you can ask of them because it works twofold. Bring them Uh, online to offline and offline to online. (laughs) I love that. And that just makes people feel 
that much more um, sort of in it. <laughs> and like the brand is part of their life and part of their story if it's part of their life, both online yeah. and offline. And and I love what you said about trying to, trying to move them in each direction, mm-hmm. trying to move your online people offline as well and trying to move your offline people online as well. Joe says that local offline communities are springboards for success. Loves his local yeah. community support. That's- I love that. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> so to that end, why should brands bother developing communities rather than focusing all of their efforts on sales and like the things that you think of brands traditionally focusing on when communities don't yeah. always lead to direct ROI? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's funny because I definitely don't want to go on like an anti-capitalism rant. <laughs> but... Go for it. It's a safe space. <laughs> But I I do think that there are many brands out there that believe like their sole function on earth is to make a profit and push sales. Yeah. But I get to an extent because obviously if you want to run a business, you have to make money. Um, It helps. But I feel like sitting in front of like brands all in the same room, I would just like tell them that that's not sustainable, Um, especially now because consumers' mindsets are changing a lot. And I talk about this frequently, but values-based consumerism is becoming more ever-present now. And it's something that I think brands and marketers should really be paying close attention to. Because you find that for us? Because like, I get it, but I want to make sure. Yeah, so value-based consumerism is basically targeting um, customer, well, consumers making decisions, uh, purchasing decisions based on what uh, their values are and and purchasing from brands that align with their values. Um, So that's what uh, value-based consumerism is. Um, But I think now, especially since we are like transitioning more to this values-based consumerism space, uh, it's showing that like customers are very aware and like they're not dumb. So we shouldn't treat them like they are. Um, and they're not going to buy from brands that, you know, don't align with their values. They're not buying from brands blindly. They know they have the power of the purse. So they're not just going to, you know, buy from any brand that pushes a product in their, in their face. They want to buy products from brands that align with their values and, as we see more conversations happening online and, and offline um, around like social justice, environmentalism, sustainability, wellness, uh, we're definitely seeing that customers will literally stop purchasing from brands if, if these are not topics that are being addressed and discussed. And, well, and another really think, key part of that is that it's not even enough to address them and discuss them. Consumers are really yeah. holding brands to action. You know, if a brand posts yep. something about a social justice issue, consumers now have the power. There are no secrets on the internet. Consumers now have the power to find <laughs> out where is this company actually devoting money, resources? How are they treating their people within the organization? Like it is all coming out. Absolutely. And and that's the thing about the internet. Like I try to remind everyone, like the internet lasts forever. Screenshots last forever. So the community will definitely um, hold you accountable. But I I think at the end of the day, it it just goes back to social responsibility, which I know a lot of companies try to focus on. Um, I think I was like reading this survey from Nielsen that was talking about how 50% of customers are willing to pay for social responsible products. So it obviously matters to them. Um, 
So when brands are thinking about like not only their customers, but their communities as well, they have to think about what interests them beyond the products and services that they're buying and utilizing. Um, Because I think that's like the foundation of community building, as I mentioned before, Um, bringing together people with, with shared interest. And ultimately, I think communities are and always will be beneficial to brands because there's just too much knowledge insight, talent, information that you could be leveraging from from communities to get a better understanding of what's working with your product or service or what is not because your community will literally tell you. And like we said, they will hold you accountable. So I think for me, when I think about brands that choose to focus on sales only and, and not focus on the community as well, my question for them would be like, what happens if you can't sell anything anymore? What do you have? <laughs> and that and that brings like, back to what you said at the very beginning of your answer to this question, <laughs> which was that brands who feel like their sole purpose is just to sell and to make that money and get those transactions, you said that's not sustainable. So I would like right. to, to, to dig into that just a little bit. What about a community uh, is sustainable? Yeah. So I, I think, again, like I mentioned before, it's something that I completely recognize, like brands... And businesses are created to make money to an extent. Um, But I think, you know, there's, yeah, there's like so many (laughs) factors that can the profitability of your business or your brand. And, you know, when I think about communities, it's, it's something that's always fascinating to me because I'm like, at the end of the day, if brands and businesses like shut down or are forgotten per se, like communities can really bring you back to life. Like they'll help you continue your legacy beyond, you know, a product and service that you sold to them and help you go down in like the hypothetical history books um, because of experiences and feelings that your community felt um, because they felt that you cared about what mattered to them, not just sales. Um, And the best thing I can think about really quickly is just, for example, Vine ended in like 2016, but just like two days ago, it was trending all over Twitter. Yep. <laughs> it's like gone, but not Vine forgotten. Company. Exactly. <laughs> People love their Vine. So for, yeah. for companies that do recognize the importance of this, what are some key elements of starting to foster that strong sense of online community? So I, I think about a couple of things. Um, and I think the first one is like human connection. And that's the biggest thing for me. Um, I know I mentioned earlier that it can like be tricky to do, especially when you're building offline communities, because yeah. you don't get that in-person interaction. Um, but I think it's needed to build min- meaningful relationships um, with people. But I think human connection can kind of help foster that kind of feel and magic that you wouldn't be getting online. And to me, human connection really just means like approaching people online in a way that's empathetic, understanding, and kind. Um, Because people at the end of the day just really want to be seen, heard, and, and, and felt valued, which I think brings me to another key point that I think about, which is listening. Um, So with community building, we really have to step away from this idea that we're going to be using our community platforms uh, to push messaging and push products. Um, 
quite simply, that's whack. <laughs> and that's not what people want from a community um, because community is supposed to be more raw and unfiltered and really just a safe place where people can be their best authentic selves and give community members an opportunity to like, you know, focus on just like what matters to them. And when brands take that away and fully and, and solely focus on pushing, pushing like brand messages, it, it takes away from that genuine, genuine nature of the community and just the authenticity of what your brand is supposed to be. So the best thing you can do is really take a step back and just allow your community the space to utilize your voice. So yeah, I try to like tell brands all the time. Because it's I mean, not people, about you. <laughs> people don't want to be advertised to, right? People don't want to feel like they're, you know, fish in a barrel sort of stuck. They don't want to feel like they're sitting at one of those timeshare presentations. Like, okay, I joined this group. Now I'm sitting here being sold to. <laughs> not exactly. It's about right. broadcasting. It's about conversing. Right. And, and I think I love that you said that because I think when it comes to conversing too, it's not just about your community to talking to you as a brand. It's them getting them to talk to each other because that's how you learn more. <laughs> and that's how the community grows because it's a conversation beyond you. Um, but I think if I think of like another key element, I would say rewarding as well. Mm, um, I like that. I think it, it's great to have a lot of people in your community talking to each other and talking to your brand, but like, what else? Like, what is the benefits that they get out of that besides like, I guess, like making online friends? <laughs> what are you giving back to them to thank them for being a part of your community or to thank them for engaging um, and engaging? And, and I think rewards can look very different because, you know, depending on the brand, you might have your own idea of what a reward will look like, but you know, it could be anywhere from like exclusive access to events that your brand is hosting. It could be inviting the members of your community to test out new products or services. It could be reposting their UGC on the main like brand channels. It, it could look a lot, uh, be a lot of different things and look a lot different. But I think ultimately the best thing a brand can do is recognize their community and show them how much they value them because it's like, any relationship. Yes, people are in relationships, whether romantic, professional, or platonic, to gain something from each other, but you don't just take from the relationship. You have to show the other person or people, depending on whatever you're into, because we don't judge over here, <laughs> um, why they matter to you. And not just in your love language, but theirs. And I think that's the same thing. That type of relationship dynamic applies to brands in their community as well. That is the most valuable thing because the fact is, I mean, seeing those uh, conversations and relationships that your community builds within each other, that's free market mm -hmm. research. You're sitting there like yeah. listening in to an incredibly value, valuable conversation that you may not have been privy to before and also rewarding mm -hmm. members of your community. That can be, I mean, yes, that's, that's money or product or, you know, discounts or whatever, but the fact is that's way cheaper than like old school advertising <laughs> absolutely and, and it's just like a, a wealth of knowledge and, and insight that they have um which i i've used a lot in my work and not just for own communities because i do think you know own communities keeps the conversations from being a little bit more candid so i yeah. i love social listening 
for for that purpose because they say the real shit when they know you're not paying attention. <laughs> Absolutely. It's when people stop being polite and start being real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and social listening in those communities is is really, really key. So many brands don't look beyond their own properties. So many people yeah. don't, even the teeny tiny yeah. players that I uh, work with, I always tell them, I'm like, if you're only talking to your people, you're only talking to your people. You want to get more. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It, it's just a huge missed opportunity if you're not looking outside of own platforms because there's like literal gold out there. <laughs> there really is. Oh my goodness. And Sunwink is lucky that they've got you and you know that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, so I guess the next question is what are the potential pitfalls that brands should maybe be aware of, of a large online community? Because the advantages we've, as we've talked about is you get to hear those conversations. The disadvantage is you get to hear those conversations. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think it's hard because when we talk about online communities, um, it gets very like flowery. And I think that we forget that the people behind these accounts are literal humans. The people in these communities are humans. So, and where I'm going with this may seem a bit dark, but I feel like- There's a dark, but people need to know this though. It, it, it's a bit, it is a bit, it can get a bit dark. Um, Cause I, I think it's an important conversation to have, but um, humans, are flawed and complex. And while communities can be beautiful and have these like amazing storytelling moments where people are reuniting with like long lost family members or loved ones or falling in love with each other, it can also be a very scary place. Um, and the, the one of the examples I can think of is when I was working in the cannabis industry, I was responsible for everything that touched social. So that included overseeing community-led Facebook groups, even though we didn't necessarily own these groups. Um, But there were several, like probably over 40 Facebook groups that were specifically catered to like the medical cannabis industry Mm -hmm. in Florida. And I would just monitor monitor them, listen to see what conversations were happening around the industry and our brand. And while I wasn't super active because I just didn't have the time to be, um, I really just wanted to look in and just see what conversations were happening. Um, but the thing about the cannabis industry is that the 
cannabis is like inherently political because it's yeah. been deemed as federally illegal drug by our government mm-hmm. while simultaneously being for legal now. both recreational. Yeah, for now. <laughs> for, now. <laughs> for now. While simultaneously being legal, both recreationally and uh, medically in some states. So you, you do see a lot of political conversations around cannabis and this conversation around social issues. And sometimes, oftentimes, <laughs> those conversations will get quite heated. And I remember witnessing, like, community members attack each other to the point where, like, racial slurs were being thrown oh. around. And homophobic, anti-Muslim rhetoric was being used. And as a person who is a woman of color, a black woman, that was like quite jarring to me because I couldn't believe one that these like pro cannabis individuals would be saying something like the internet, but two, would they they would be doing it so publicly. Yeah. Um, so I, I I point that out because I think it's rem- it's important to remember that everything isn't going to be unicorn and rainbows when you're building a community, and I think that's why moderation is important. Um, so that you can like maintain the same space, especially for community managers in their role. So you can maintain that safe space for your community that you're trying to build so that, you know, a couple of bad eggs aren't just like ruining the whole community experience for everyone else that's in it. Yeah, though, there's kind of a fine line there that you have to tread when uh, there are kind of, when there's negativity deciding when it's I mean, sometimes it's pretty clear that it's negative enough where it's like, this is just pure hate. I'm going to delete it. But I'm sure sometimes there's a fine line there where it's like, we don't want to make people feel like it's only people who are blowing sunshine up our butts. So kind of how do you how do you define that? And do you define it with the management of the company in general? Or is that kind of on you? Yeah, I I think it's a little bit of a both. Like, obviously, if you're, you know, the social media manager, for example, for a brand that internally hasn't really defined any like zero tolerance policies for racism, you know, homophobia or any type of like hate speech that's not going to reflect online. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely helpful if you have a a company, if you're working for a company that has already built that into their values and the foundation of their company. Um, But I definitely think it's the, the job of the social media manager to make sure that there is moderation so that so no one in the community is being attacked. And you also have to, you know, set guidelines for your community, whether that's a Facebook group or a page, um, just so that they know, like, hey, if you do participate in any, like, bullshitty behavior, like, you will be removed from the group, you'll be blocked, you'll be reported, all of the above. Um, so, I think having those guidelines set at the get-go just like sets expectations for your community so yeah. that they know what's not, you know, what's not kosher, what's not going down. <laughs> yeah. And like on Facebook groups, a lot of places have, have rules clearly mm-hmm. stated so that, mm-hmm. you know, it, that kind of covers your ass a little bit so that people can't just yeah. be like, oh, the admin doesn't like me. You can actually say, okay, well, here's the rule which you clicked exactly. agree to when you joined this group. But of course, not every community is like that. I mean, if I'm like talking to people on my Twitter thread, they haven't like <laughs> opted into a set of rules, but. Yeah, definitely. And oh. and I also do think it, 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 we can put some onus on the, the actual social platforms. Like they yeah. need to do better moderation as well. It should be like a group effort in terms of platforms, social media manager and the companies they work for. <laughs> Absolutely. Working together for a warmer, fuzzier, kinder internet. 
So now yeah. we are at question six, which is what are some brands that you feel have strong online communities? Yeah, so I, br I bring up this uh, brand all the time because I really feel passionate about it. So Netflix, every time someone asks me this question, it's because I really think they are the blu the blueprint and the standard. Um, and, and I say this, I, I, I'm not quite sure when they started this, but one of the first things I noticed when I started following them across uh, social channels was that their editorial team began creating these very community specific pages for their more niche Netflix communities. Mm -hmm. And I have always thought that was so cool and so beautiful because they really go out of their way to make sure that their communities feel seen and represented. And they have these three pages that I actually follow specifically, um, which is strong black lead for their black audiences and lover of black content con todo for their Hispanic, Hispanic and Latino community and most for their LGBTQ plus community. Um, but they have more. They have like Netflix film for the movie film lovers. They have Netflix food they for the Netflix food lovers. Netflix is a joke for the comedy yeah. lover. <laughs> That's me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I follow that one too. Um, but yeah, they, they have so many different community pages and it's really amazing to watch how they've been able to create these own communities because Everyone knows it's Netflix, but they also know that they can go to these pages and get the content that they really want to see, which I think is amazing how they've been able to do that. Um, because I do think it's easy to forget, especially when you're a smaller brand, um, that you know you can have sub communities within your larger community, and sometimes they want their own niche content that's different from what else what what everyone else is getting. Um, and I think that's something that brands should pay attention to because. I think it's easy to send out general messaging, but like the hard work is when you do start doing content that's a little bit more niche and unique to specific companies. Absolutely. Um, and people and people fandom is a really powerful uh, force. I talked about that uh, on this show two weeks ago with Brienne Fleming of Pop Chat. Mm -hmm. You know, fandom yeah. is a force of nature and it can make or break your brand. Absolutely. It really can. And again, like... I would much rather, as a social media manager, build this content for these niche communities and, and you know, get the resources, do the extra work to do it just so that it can feel seen. Because like they were like we were saying before, like the community is really going to make your brand like, you know, have that longevity long term in the future. So why not just cater to them and make sure that we're doing everything in our power to make sure that they feel seen? Um but it is interesting because I love that Netflix does that, but those are their own channels. So when I think about other communities, I immediately think about TikTok because TikTok, I, I don't know if they have any own like social media pages for their specific communities, but I have been keeping an eye on them because while they're not necessarily owned by TikTok because they are quite large, um, I, I just find it so funny because when you're scrolling on TikTok, you just never know what you're going to stumble upon. <laughs> and, and these communities, like, they're so specific and niche. And it, and it makes me laugh because I remember I was just like, I primarily use TikTok to look at, like, recipes and food content. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big foodie. And I remember, like, I was just, like, scrolling very aimlessly. And I was like, oh, look at all these recipes. And then all of a sudden, I ended up on, like, BDSM TikTok. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> what That's is this? different. Did it at least involve food? <laughs> I hope not. it did, but it didn't. <laughs> but it's like such a very specific company, um, not company, community mm-hmm. that I was not expecting expecting to witness. Um, but it, it it definitely made me realize that people are finding their space on the TikTok platform and in and, and other areas as well. Um, which I think is like huge because it's like it doesn't matter like how niche your community is. Like if people are able to find again those people with shared interests, they will stay and stay a while, which is important. <laughs> now I'm picturing someone like scrolling all day through BDSM TikTok. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, I would say they kept it like relatively PG. They were just showing like how to tie ropes in like a um in a like non-safe in a in a safe way. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was like, oh, this is actually quite informative. I don't know what I'm gonna use this, but sure. Yeah. It's like let's not accidentally hurt yourselves, folks. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. We've reached the point where I want to invite people to uh ask your questions to Jade. And Jade, we actually have a few people we're going to be coming on camera. We have some people in the green room. In fact, we have too many people in the green room. Um, So, Maiko, it's going to be a minute before we can add you. But I'm going to bring in Marianne first. She's going to ask you a question. And I'm going to actually ask if uh, you could keep these answers somewhat brief because I want to get to as many as we can. Um, So let's bring Marianne on first. So, Marianne, (laughs) go ahead and ask your question to Jade. Hello. My question is, what is your favorite tool that you use as a community manager and why? Yeah, so I have been using Sprout Social for a while. I used it when I was working in the cannabis industry, and it is now our platform of choice at Sunwink, which I am very happy about. But I have always loved Sprout Social because it makes it easy to do publishing, analytics, um, and community management in one space, which people for for people working in social like it's very important to just have a seamless like interface where you can do your job in in one space if possible um but i love it for responding to comments and replies just because it pulls up all the comments on a single post or thread and puts it in one place so that you can see not only how people are responding to your post as a brand but just how they're talking to each other so you know when the right times are to engage with each other um I will say that, like, I know that Facebook groups are super popular for people, especially when it comes to community building. I have yet to see any platforms that manage uh, Facebook groups. So, and I think that has a lot to do with Facebook's API um, and just the the softwares that they allow uh, other softwares to talk to Facebook. But I'm hoping that there will be some solves in the future for that because Facebook management in the platform is not the easiest to do, but for everything else, Sprout is my favorite. <laughs> awesome. Thank Great. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So next up, we have Janet. Hey, Janet. Is it Machuca or Makuka? Machuca. Machuca. Hey, Janet. What would you like to ask Jade? Hi, Jade. How are you? Um, Hi. My question is, Twitter and Facebook are our... Twitter and Facebook, uh, Twitter chats and Facebook are one of the communities that we know. And Twitter is one of my favorites. Uh, Mm -hmm. What what kind of uh, importance does or do they give to individuals who want to start off a brand building? So when you talk about people are young on Twitter, people are young on Facebook, how is it important for them? 
Yeah. So I think communities in general, whether you're doing them on Facebook groups or in Twitter chats or any other platform that you choose to build your community are, like I was saying before, they're like gold mines for insights and content that you could be leveraging uh, to develop your products or even just get feedback on your services as a business. Um, because like I was saying, I think communities talk, uh, speak very candidly with each other. So they'll be really great just to get that insight so you know what's going on when it comes to conversations associated with your brand. And one of the examples I can think of is when I was managing a couple of Facebook groups, when I was working in the cannabis industry, one of the things that I learned very quickly were people didn't know how to use our products. And I didn't know that because I was not on the product development team. But that insight was really helpful because we were able to later create some content to show our audience on social how to use our products through videos and infographics. And they found that super helpful. So again, I think it's it's just really helpful, especially in the early stages of businesses that uh, need that kind of um insight from their community just so they know what's working and what's not working. Wow, that's amazing. That's Thank great. You. Thanks, Jade. Thank and you. thanks, Janet. Next, we have Angelo. Hey, Angelo, what's up? Hey, y'all. How are y'all doing? Can y'all hear me? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, so we talked <laughs> about very much consumer-facing community management. Um, there are a lot mm -hmm. of hierarchies and processes that go on internally. What are some of the best practices when it comes to starting these types of, let's say, sensitive subject conversations internally so that you fin finesse that messaging to your uh, consumers and your community? Yeah, so I, I think it's really important to one, uh, align on what you want to say with whoever that is in your organization, whether it's your brand team or corporate communications, or even if it's individuals on your marketing team, align on what you want to say and feel confident about that. Um, because I think you have to recognize as a brand that people are going to like what you say, but also may not <laughs> like what you say. Um, but I think when it comes to your community, you can really just get down on a human level and ask them how they're feeling, what resources they need, do they want to have a discussion? Um, because the best thing you can really ask your community uh, is what they need. And I think sometimes you should technically already know, especially if you're actively doing monitoring, listening and engaging. But I do think there is a fine line that you have to balance so that you're not making any assumptions as to what they want to hear. Um, and, and one of the examples I think of is recently at Sunweek, we put out a post um, after the attacks of the, at the Capitol, just, you know, saying that we essentially denounce what happened. And people were pissed. You can see it on our Instagram comments now. Like we were getting dragged <laughs> and um, people were not happy. But the thing is, we really had to stand firm in what we believe in and also just set the tone going forward that this is what you're going to get from us as a, as a company. And the people that don't want to be a part of the community because of it, bye. <laughs> right? Yeah. Love that. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much, Jade. And thank you, Angela. And then we, ha we have, uh, finally, we have Maiko Sakai. Hey, Maiko. Hey, how are you, Jade? And how are you, Christine? Great. Good. Thank you. Okay. So my question is, 
a lot of community managers, whether they run membership sites or, you know, just having the community to get started with what they care, they don't seem to have a hard time having, you know, people to sign up. But then they start asking a series of questions to answer, you know, to understand them better. Mm-hmm. And they struggle at times and they feel this weight on mm-hmm. their shoulders a bit to carry on and keep going. What would be your best advice for that? I don't know if you have any experience like that, but I do hear that from other people time to time. Yeah, I think one of the, I haven't had that experience, but I, I immediately think about the fact that like, Yes, I I wholeheartedly believe it's important to ask your community questions, but it it is also important to consider that they may just not want to hear from you in that moment. So it's also important important not to force that Um, because I I have found that I found a lot of great insight just from watching the conversations that they've had with each other and not waiting for them to respond to me um, for any questions that I posed. But it could also just be the questions that you are asking, because I think one of the great first questions you can be asking is, what do you want to hear? Um, Because they they usually will tell you that people love to offer their opinions. So that's something you should try to uh, capitalize on (laughs) a little bit and, and ask them what they are looking for. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Maiko. And thank you to Jade. So I'm going to run through just a few more questions that we have from people on the chat. So Natalie wants to know what is the one and actually this connects to another one. Mm-hmm. Natalie wants to know on the more macro level, what's one thing you know now about community that you wish you would have known 30 days ago, because a lot has happened in the past month. But that also builds on what uh, Sayed is asking, which is mm-hmm. after a year of the pandemic, what was your biggest takeaway managing a community seeing a shift in their online usage and behavior? In general, what do you wish you had known before to weather yeah. the storms? So I definitely wish I, and this is something I wish I would be practicing even today because I do have this like compelling (laughs) desire to do it, but not responding to everything because you don't have to. Um, And there is nothing sustainable about responding to every comment or response that you're going to get because you just can't, especially whether it's for a small brand or a large brand. Um, And as far as just like, you know, navigating this pandemic and getting through the pandemic after a year, I think communities are just really expecting their brands to be more vocal. And like you said, Christine, before being more actionable about what uh, they are doing to be a part of social conversations and, you know, really amplifying the community members that have voices that need to be heard. So whether that's, you know, Netflix's Black community pages or TikTok's BDSM community, like if if there's some content that could be amplified there, definitely take that opportunity to leverage it. I love that. Making people a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that end, Nicole loves your article in Adweek's Brands, This Is Not a Marketing Moment, <laughs> which was written, I believe, in direct response to the uh, to what happened at the Capitol building on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, so where is that line for, for community conversations? That's that's an excellent question because it, it's a tricky one to balance, but I would say it makes it easy when your company or your employer already has those values um, because what you don't want to happen is like you're talking about how 
this means a lot to you and you're denouncing this or whatever you're denouncing on social media, but that does not reflect what's happening in yeah. customer service at the retail level, every other aspect of the business. Um, but I, I think it's just important if you go back to whatever that values deck was, if you say you care about community, you got to show it and stand firm on it. I love that. And I'm going to ask you one more question. This one's from Julianne. What's your top advice for people and especially students who would like to be social media managers? Um, I would say just jump right into it. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to work for a big brand or anything. Um, jump right into it and start engaging with other social media managers in the space because they have a lot of great insight um, and have been in this space for a while. And also just don't be afraid to test and try things out because social media evolves every single day. You're never going to get everything right. Sometimes you'll get some, some things wrong, but you won't know unless you try. So. I love that. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Jade, for being here today. Uh, where can people find you? Where should people find you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jade I Powell. And I especially love to tweet and post on Instagram. So find me at any of those places. <laughs> love that so much. Thank you, Jade, for being here today and for all of your amazing insights. Thank you to all of you who participated in this fabulous chat. Hope to see you all next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.